Wisteria. Energy. 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 Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and to the Dracon's Dollar Collection. And this is called The Shadow Man. Just down the country road, only a few miles, where Frank Dennison and his wife Jane lived, was a beautiful Victorian house with a for sale sign in the yard. Frank immediately pulled into the driveway to check out the house. When he saw that the house was locked, Frank wrote down the number on the for sale sign to contact the agent. Luckily, Frank was able to get in touch with him and immediately phoned the agent. Yes, the house is still on the market. I would be more than happy to show it to you. The owner wants a quick sale and will certainly work with you to make your dream come true. If you both are truly serious about buying, said the realtor. How about tomorrow at 2pm? Uh, Frank asked eagerly. That'll be fine. See you then, replied the agent. Frank called Jane and let her know about the appointment. The next day they met the real estate agent. They must be asking a pretty penny for this house, Jane said as she gazed upon the massive estate. The house seemed too good to be true and they were both excited about the home. What they didn't know were specific details about the house that the owner had purposefully left out. The owner didn't want them to know that a ghost by the name of Shadowman supposedly haunted the place. He feared they might become discouraged just like all the others who had expressed interest. Some took the owner's advice, others did not and met an untimely end at the hands of the Shadow Man. The owner had learned his lesson this time, however. He was not going to make the same mistake he had made with the other interested buyers. The old Victorian home sat on a 60 acres of flat land with a vast lake, not too far from the back of the house. The house was tall and eccentrically beautiful. The home also had a wraparound porch which added additional charm to the estate. It was indeed the house of their dreams, and this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Jane was in awe of the astounding beauty of the home and gave her husband a huge hug. I love it, I love it. When can we move in? Jane asked with a smile. We need to fill out the appropriate documents and make an offer. If the seller accepts the offer, you and your husband should be able to move in by the end of next week. Now if you will both follow me to the study, we will sit down and discuss the asking price of the home. I'll give the owner a call and hopefully he will accept, said the realtor. The realtor phoned the owner and told him what the denizens were willing to give for the house. The seller hesitated for a moment. Their offer is a little lower than my asking price, the owner said to himself, but if I don't accept their offer, I'll be stuck with the house. He decided to accept their offer and hung up the phone. The realtor flashed a big smile at the Denisons. Congratulations, you're now the proud owners of this beautiful Victorian mansion. The owner will have all of the things out by Friday. You'll be able to begin moving in by Monday. If you don't have any further questions, we'll go ahead with signing the legal documents and collect your down payment and closing costs. And after all that, I'll hand over the keys to your new home. The Denizens shook hands with the realtor gleefully and drove off. They decided to celebrate at a nice restaurant. When we're through eating, I was wondering if we'd like to go and see a movie with me. We can call it a night, if you like, though, Jane asked her husband. I think that's a good idea, honey. We'll need to get a babysitter for Matthew and Sarah first, he replied. 
After the movie, they went to a local cafe for some coffee to talk some more about their new home. Darling, I've never lived in a mansion before, Jane said. Don't you worry, Frank replied. I've never lived in one either, but I'm sure we'll adjust fine. I think we'd better head home and get some sleep. We can pack our things in the morning, said Frank reassuringly. After they paid for the drinks, Mr. and Mrs. Dennison got in their car and drove home. As they pulled into the driveway, Frank remarked, Just think, in a few more days, we'll be driving to our new home. The day of the move finally came, and the Dennisons were eager to live in their new house. The previous owner was equally as excited about the move. They packed their furniture and clothes into the moving van and headed towards their destination. Moving in was easy until night fell. The shadow man made his presence known. At first, there were noises, like footsteps and bottles smashing against the wall. During the daytime, the children played near the barn, and when they glanced over and saw a figure opening the door. Before he entered, he turned around with blazing red eyes and told the children to leave, or the shadow man will get them. The children ran in so fast in the house to tell their mother what they saw. Mummy, mummy, there's a man in the barn that told us to leave, or the shadow man will get us. Their mother told them it was just a handyman they hired yesterday playing tricks on them. Jane tended to get her days mixed up. So, cheese were just laughed it off. Go back outside and play. We'll have a talk with Mr Nelson and about his pranks. Okay, mummy, the children replied. As the children ran back outside to play, there was a knock at the door. When Jane opened the door, she found Mr Nelson ready for work. And Mrs Dennison, sorry, I'm late. I had a flat tower about a mile down the road and thumbed a ride to the nearest gas station to get it fixed. It won't happen again, I promise. What did you just say? Mrs. Dennison asked anxiously. I said I had a flat tire and had to hitch a ride to get it fixed. Mr. Nelson replied with a confused look on his face. Then, who is the man at the barn that told my son to leave? Or the shadow man would get us all? asked the mother nervously. Whiskey Six, that's his name. Mr. Nelson explained. A legend had it that when he drank too much whiskey, someone was going to die, whether it be during a poker game or a fight over a woman or a stagecoach robbery. Anyone who dared to ride shotgun with him might not come back alive. Whiskey Six's blood ran as cold as ice. If I were you, I would sell the house as soon as possible and never return. I'll let you in a little secret. The owner didn't tell you about the house. In the real house, estate, documents. Whiskey Six was born in this house and died in it. Mr Nelson leaned in closer and continued. It all started when Whiskey Six's father lost his job and started drinking heavily. Whiskey Six thought his dad was the roughest and toughest outlaw the West had ever known. That was, of course, until a stagecoach robbery went wrong and he was killed, one of the most notorious outlaws of them all. James Lynch of the Lynch Brothers gang. It only took two days to find Whiskey Six's father. When they did, they threw a rope around the beam in the barn, tied it round his neck and hung him high. The next morning, Whiskey Six went searching for his father and stumbled upon his lifeless body, hanging in the barn. Whiskey Six was furious and made a vow to avenge his father's death. He was only 16 years old at the time. Whiskey Six got his father's six-shooter and would practice day and night for weeks on end until his nerves were steel. Then he began to hunt for the Lynch brothers to finish them all off one by one. Whiskey Six got a 
a good lead in the local saloon, where a bartender named Sam. He told him the Lynch brothers were staying at a farmhouse about half a mile from the bar. The brothers broke into the farmhouse, lynched the owners in the barn just as they had done to Whiskey Six's father. Whiskey Six got on his horse and raced to the farmhouse to finish the three brothers off with his six-shooter. He tied his horse to a tree about a hundred yards from the farmhouse. He pulled out his whiskey bottle and guzzled it down. He wiped the last drop from his mouth and walked up to the side of the farmhouse. Whiskey Six crept up to the window and peered inside. Sure enough, all three brothers were sitting round the table, playing poker and drinking heavily. He knew this was his best chance to get them all at the same time. Whiskey Six kicked in the door, drew both six shooters from his holsters and started shooting. Two brothers were shot right in the head, but the third was shot in the shoulder, pretending to be dead. Whiskey Six assumed they were all dead, so he immediately left. He got on his horse and rode back to his farmer's farmhouse and fell fast asleep in his favourite chair. Well, the remaining Lynch brother got up off the floor to check on his two brothers, Johnny and Billy. He realised they were both dead and he was alone. He stood up, put his hat to his heart and said goodbye for the last time. He made a vow that he would track down their killer and lynch him, just like all the others. Bobby stormed out the door and he proceeded to the stable to mount his horse and began to hunt. Bobby stopped by the saloon where Whiskey Six frequented. Bobby knew that he, if he lost his temper, the poker players Whiskey Six played with wouldn't give him any information about what he was going to do after the game. So... Bobby calmly approached the table. That whiskey six played. And he pulled up a chair. He asked the boys if they would like a drink. Of course they said yes. Bobby yelled out their orders. The drinks kept coming. Many drinks later, he had them exactly where he wanted them. Whiskey six is a pretty good player, Bobby said. They all nodded in agreement. You wouldn't happen to know what whiskey six was planning on doing after the game would you. Bobby asked the boys slyly. They were all pretty drunk by now and didn't care what they said, and so they were easy prey. Little did the men know that Bobby was one of the Lynch brothers. He had disguised himself before entering the saloon, and one of the guys at the table told him Whiskey, Whiskey Six had a bone to pick with the Lynch brothers and was going to avenge his father's death. Hmm. Well then, boys, I think it's time for me to go visit a friend. A close friend. Bobby said as he got up from the table. He walked out of the saloon and mounted his horse. Bobby rode towards Whiskey Six's farm to take care of their unfinished business. He stopped just a few yards from the house, tied his horse to a tree. Bobby got his rope loaded, his pistols, and slowly approaching the window of the house, he saw Whiskey Six passed out in his rocking chair by the fire. Whiskey bottle in hand. Bobby slowly opened the door and quietly approached Whiskey Six, then drew his pistol and shot him in both legs. Then he put a rope around his body and dragged him to the barn. Bobby threw the line around the rafter, put the noose around Whiskey Six's neck. He kicked the chair out from under him, and after a few jerking motions, Whiskey Six's lifeless body swayed from the rafter. Just before Bobby walked away, he said, That was for my brothers. And that's the story of the Shadow Man and why he still haunts the farmhouse and the barn, said Mr Nelson. Mrs Dennison told her husband the story and about what the Shadow Man had told their children. 
If what you say is true, then this is why the owner was so eager to sell the farm at such a low price, Mr. Dennison replied. Mr. Dennison called his realtor and told him his family would be moving out the next day, even if they had to take the loss. His family's life was more valuable than dream home. Are you sure you won't change your mind? The realtor said. Let someone else face the shadow man, Frank said. Maybe they can remove the ghosts from this place once and for all, said Frank in a nervous tone. The end. And that is the end of the shadow man. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit the like, share if you can. And if you're not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Wisteria Energy Twister Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel, to the Drac von Stoller collection. This is called The Red Room. Darren and his family had just gotten back from vacation when they received a phone call from Darren's aunt, Matilda. Darren, your uncle Henry was found dead in the wine cellar. I need you to come by the mansion and help me straighten out my affairs. You're the only one I can trust with this matter. I hope your family doesn't mind if you come stay with me for a while until I get all this sorted, said Aunt Matilda. I'll talk it over with my wife tonight. I don't anticipate any problems. Get some rest. I'll be there in the morning to start the process, said Darren. I feel so much better knowing that you'll be helping me out. I know your Uncle Henry would have wanted it that way. He was always proud of your accomplishments and cared about you so much that he wanted you to have the mansion, should he ever leave us. What do you think about that, Darren? said Matilda. Before Dan had a chance to reply or say anything, she interjected. Before you say a word, there are no living relatives besides you and me, and we both know that at my age and my health, well, it would not allow me to take on such a huge task of making sure the mansion is in tip-top shape. Your family belongs here. I know this place is a horrid past, but maybe you and your family can bring some years of happiness to it. She paused for a moment. Your uncle should have never got mixed up in the occult with his father, Merlin. Henry said that if we were ever to get married, someday would give up his father's wicked ways. But even when we were married, it was too far in it that he didn't honour his word to me. But I was so naive. And in love with him that I didn't see the secrets that he kept from me until it was too late. Since the death of your uncle, I have now discovered hidden passages in some of the rooms that I never knew existed. The red room on the east side had a large pentagram in the middle of the floor and a table with bloodstains on it, where I only assume it was for the human sacrifices. I also noticed when I touched the walls... There was heavy padding covering them. The door was thick with blood. I would imagine the padding was done to soundproof the room so that if any visitors came by and happened to pass the red room, they wouldn't be able to hear any screams. She hesitated. Darren, you're not going to believe this, but I found a diary Henry was keeping about all the rituals that took place inside the red room including all the gory details. The number of people that died inside that room is inconceivable.
I can't believe I knew nothing about what went on. I did notice that the door was always kept locked. But whenever I would ask the maid, she would tell me that it was kept locked because Henry and his father were working on a breakthrough invention. It would bring the family a vast fortune. They didn't want anyone to steal their secret. So me, being the naive person that I was, I just left it at that, never brought it up again. If only I would have been the kind of wife that knew all of her husband's business, I might have been able to stop him from getting too involved and moved away from this horrid mansion. My husband may still be alive today. Matilda composed herself and continued. The damage is done. Now that Henry's father is gone too, there is no one to carry on their murderous deeds. It's all up to you, Darren, to destroy any remaining books, diaries, anything else that could conjure up an evil presence. Please hurry. I can't bear to spend another night alone in this place. I'll board the next flight to Savannah, I promise, Darren said, trying to comfort his distraught aunt. He could hear her breathe a sigh of relief. Oh... That sounds wonderful. Thank you. A tone turned sombre. Listen, Henry always was very protective of you because he knew that you were the only true heir to the mansion. You had no idea, no one did, that your uncle had planned for you to take his place. You see, when you were a little boy, Henry would enter the red room as you slept and perform certain rituals that went unnoticed until his passing. I only now know because of his diary. It was written on the very last page, as if the process was complete, and it was your destiny to take over. Darren chuckled a bit. Matilda, there's no way my uncle would have the power to choose another human being's destiny. This is all hogwash, and that's all it can be. I'll prove it to you when I arrive. We'll go through each room in the mansion. I'll read all of his writings to show you that it's all just words. There's no way there's any truth in any of this. Real murders were committed in the Red Room, Darren. I have seen the blood, Matilda replied. Darren shrugged it off. Please get some rest. I'll be there before noon tomorrow. I'll put all your fears to rest once and for all when I come. Matilda took his advice and tried to sleep it off. It only took about an hour before she had fallen into a deep sleep. Suddenly Matilda's bed began shaking violently. She could hear screams coming from the red room. The voice of Henry and his father were telling her she would die before sunset. Matilda jumped out of bed and ran to the door, only to find that it was locked. She screamed and beat on the door, hoping that the little maid would hear her. Little did she know, the maid had already met her end. Henry's ghost came into Matilda's room and summoned her to the red room. Matilda rose from her bed, followed the voice to the red room. Henry and his father Merlin were waiting for her there. Tears were flowing down her cheeks. Her body was trembling as she inched close to the red room. All she wanted to do was run out of the mansion. But Henry had total possession over her will. She took a deep breath and repeated to herself, There's no such things as ghosts. There's no ghosts in this place. There's no ghosts in this place. There's no ghosts in this place. All of a sudden, 
The room grew silent. Matilda slowly approached the door and turned the knob. The door opened without hesitation. Matilda slowly walked into the red room. As she stepped inside, her heart was beating out of her chest. Henry and Merlin could now bury their secrets by killing Matilda. Matilda screamed at the top of her lungs and tried to run, but it was as though someone was holding her back. Matilda was fearful of what was going to happen next. Matilda's eyes were blinded by a bright light coming from the red room. The door slammed behind her and she was never heard from again. The ghosts of Henry and Merlin left a note in Matilda's handwriting explaining that she had to leave unexpectedly due to a family illness. The master keys to the estate were in the top drawer of the office. Matilda's letter also stated that the lawyer would be by the mansion the next day to pick up the paperwork enabling him to take over the estate the following morning. If only Darren knew what was in store for him, he would have declined the offer and auctioned off the estate to the highest bidder. Henry and Merlin wouldn't allow that to happen. The powers were too strong, even from beyond the grave. Darren was excited to be living in a mansion and was glad that he could help his aunt with all the paperwork and save her a lot of headaches. Darren said goodbye to his family, drove off to the airport, boarded his flight to Savannah, Georgia. Little did he know that the trip would change his life forever. It was the missing puzzle piece in Henry and Merlin's evil deeds. Darren's flight arrived ahead of schedule. The weather was beautiful. He gathered his belongings and loaded up his rental car and set off. The closer Darren got to the mansion, the worse the weather became. Sure's getting dark and cloudy, Darren observed. I hope it doesn't start raining. With every mile he drove, the rain steadily beat harder. The wind blew more fiercely. Bright lightning lit up the sky. It was the worst storm he'd ever seen. Darren glanced at the rearview mirror. Thought he saw something or someone in the back car seat. Seeing nothing, though, he just attempted to shrug it off as though his mind was playing tricks on him. The storm continued getting stronger and stronger. Just a few more miles and I'll be there, said Darren. As Darren approached the entrance, he adjusted the rearview mirror and was shocked at what he saw in the back seat. Oh my God, it's my uncle and grandfather, Darren shrieked. This can't be real, can it? Oh, but it is, Henry replied in an eerie tone. We've been expecting you. Darren was in utter shock. But, but you're both dead. I was at grandfather's funeral five years ago. And you, Uncle Henry, you just died two days ago. Darren explained in disbelief. Don't worry, Merlin said. We both came here to warn you that Matilda was planning to burn the mansion to the ground with you in it. She took out an insurance policy on you when you were young. She had intended to collect it now. Your Uncle Henry and I scared Matilda out of the mansion. She'll never return. Now, when you arrive at the estate, there's a letter on the desk in the study. The letter will give you all details about everything. Yes, Merlin said with a slight chuckle. As Darren pulled into the main entrance, he turned around and observed that his uncle and grandfather were no longer there. Darren rubbed his eyes and took a second look. Sure enough, there was no one in the back seat of the car.
I must have just imagined it all. Darren mumbled to himself. Yeah, I was dreaming, daydreaming. He tried once again to shake it off. I guess I'll get my things and check out this letter. Hopefully this won't take too long. Darren finally arrived at his uncle's estate, ready to read the letter and claim his inheritance. As Darren entered the, the mansion, a voice guided him to the study, where the message was lying on the desk for him to read. He picked up the letter and started reading aloud. Dear Darren, upon my death, you are the sole heir to my estate and all of its contents. Everything has been taken care of through my lawyer. The deed to the mansion is behind the painting on the back wall of the study. There is absolutely nothing to sign. The keys are in the top drawer of the desk. There is one more thing, Darren. To keep this place, you must agree to keep the mansion in the family. Sincerely, Uncle Henry. Darren picked up the phone to call his wife. Then all of a sudden, a faint voice whispered in his ear saying, Come to the Red Room, it called. Suddenly Darren's eyes were fixated on the door. The phone fell out of his hand and he slowly walked towards the door in a trance. Henry and Merlin were ready to begin the ritual, making Darren one of them forever. Darren opened the door to the Red Room and stepped into a world full of evil, deceit and murder. The room was foggy, with bright red blood dripping from the walls and the stench of death. Darren was too deep in a trance to know what was going on. Henry's voice led him to the sacrificial table where the last ritual would be performed. The voice said, Darren, lie on the table, repeat after me, Henry commanded. I will carry on the family tradition at all costs, even if it leads to murder. I will carry on the family tradition at all costs, even if it leads to murder, Darren repeated in a monotone voice. Henry then cut Darren's finger and squeezed a drop of blood into a cup. Henry and Merlin then mixed in their blood with Darren's. Henry told Darren to drink from the cup to seal the family tradition. Without hesitation, Darren gulped the bloody concoction down. The mixture felt like fire racing through his veins. Merlin cast a few more spells to make sure Darren would have no way of breaking them. They ensured stronger powers for Merlin and Henry just in case Darren needed a stronger force in the future, should anything go wrong. All Darren would have to do is summon Merlin and Henry. They would put their evil powers together to wreak havoc on anyone or anything that would get in Darren's way. Well, I believe we're done here, Merlin concluded. Now, Darren can rise, start fulfilling the legacy we have left behind. Having two presences on the other side, Darren and us will all be able to unite as one. We will become the unstoppable force that will bring any non-believer in his begging, knees for mercy. Merlin cackled as he said this. 
As Darren sat upon the table, he wiped his eyes and wondered what had happened to him. Where did I get these clothes? And what's this necklace doing around my neck? I must have been sleepwalking, Darren reasoned. He stepped off the table and was amazed at how much he felt at home in this room. Darren would not be feeling this way about the place if he was in the right state of mind. Darren even thought being dressed in black from head to toe with a pentagram necklace felt just right. As Darren opened the door to leave the red room, a voice told him to go to the cellar, and he obeyed. As Darren approached the wine rack, the voice told him to pull the bottle three rows down, the fourth bottle on the left side. He pulled the bottle out, and the wine rack slid into the wall. The voice told Darren to find the book of spells. He quickly found the book and blew the dust off the cover. He opened it and started reading, way into the night, with a bottle of wine by his side. He finally passed out from too much wine and hours of reading. When morning arrived, Darren raised his head from the table, and all he could think about was trying some of the spells and rituals from the book. Darren took the book upstairs to the red room and started thumbing through the pages. He glanced through the window at the garden and noticed someone was stealing flowers. I think I can put a stop to this, Darren said with a smile. Not knowing which page to turn to, a voice whispered in his ear the suggestion of page 23. He read the title. How to kill a thief in your garden. He thought it was surely a coincidence that the little, well, fit the incident entirely. I mean, it was a bit of a coincidence, right? But he used the spell anyway. As he began speaking the words, the thief in the garden started to choke. The flowers he had stolen were now inside his throat. He fell to his knees and collapsed. The garden swallowed his lifeless body deep within its soil. If any relative or authorities came by, they could search the ground all day long. They wouldn't find a sign of him. Darren didn't realise that the pages were blank and that his uncle Henry and Merlin were making the spells appear before his eyes. He thought he was a real sorcerer but his powers were too weak to do something that evil. The thief in the garden was his first killing, and counting towards his strength, he still has many murders to commit before becoming a full-fledged sorcerer. A few days later, Darren's family moved into the mansion. His wife and children were in utter shock at the sight of Darren. He looked completely different. Many years went by. Many more murders took place in the Red Room. Darren's powers escalated, eventually surpassed Merlin and Henry's power. They couldn't believe how strong his skills were becoming. They both tried their hardest to take away his powers, but it was no use. All they could do was sit back and watch as Darren destroyed all the things he ever loved in life. His waist finally caught up with him, and Merlin and Henry's legacy died with him, never to be leashed out again on the earth. The mansion eventually burned to the ground because of the evil, the evil it possessed in that red room. The end. Thank you for listening to this wonderful tale by Drac von Stoller. I like his tales. They are different, they're short, but I like them. They're a little quirky and I like that. Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many 
Blessings. Wisteria. Energy. 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 Twister. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and to the Drac Von Stoller collection. This story is called Castle Drac Von Stoller. Off in the distance stood a dark, desolate castle in northwestern Ireland full of mystery and macabre known as Castle Drac Von Stoller. Anyone that would dare to talk bad about the castle would later come up missing without a trace. Costume parties were held at the castle where ballroom dancing would also take place. Legend has it that Count Drac Von Stoller impaled the great wizard Esteban, and, just as the Count was about to sink his teeth into the wizard's neck, the wizard pulled his magic wand out of his cloak and a beam of light shot through the wand into the mirror standing in the corner. Esteban, the wizard said, as he was gasping his last breath on the impaling stake, Count for what you've done to me, I curse you to the mirror where you will remain for all eternity, unless you can find thirteen virgin maidens, impale them and suck every drop of their precious blood from their bodies. If you fail, the mirror will be your final resting place. You only have one chance to lift the curse. As Esteban's eyes were closing, a beam of light shone through the mirror and surrounded the Count. No matter how hard the Count tried to free himself, the curse was too strong Eventually the Count gave in, and the mirror pulled the Count inside, never to be heard from again, for over three hundred years. Three hundred years later, an aspiring artist by the name of Di Pecco was looking for a quiet place that was far away from the townspeople with many acres of land. Di Pecco needed a place that would enhance his artistic abilities, where he could shine with such greats as Leonardo da Vinci and Picasso. Tipeka's dream had always been to live in a castle and paint beautiful scenery. Tipeka decided if he was going to make this happen, he'd need to sell off everything he owns, even his most valuable paintings. He took those steps. He needed to find out if there was such a castle and if so, could he afford it? Tipeka spent a week searching the globe until finally he found the castle was for sale in Ireland. He couldn't believe the asking price for the castle was 500000 And no, it was a steal. So he called the realtor on the phone. Is this a misprint? asked Dipeco. No, the castle's a bit run down. No one's lived in it for about 300 years after the owner Count Drac von Stoller went missing and none of the living relatives to the castle wanted it because of its evil past, said the realtor. This is just nonsense, said Tepeco. Let me tell you a little story before you brush it off as nonsense, said the realtor. Legend has it that Count Drac von Stoller was a vampire that liked to impale his victims while they were on the stake dying. Then the Count would suck every drop of blood from their neck. The Count was the fiercest, fiercest vampire ever known, and no one dared keep his company if they knew what was best for them. But the Count powers beyond our imagination that helped him lure innocent victims to his castle, only to meet an untimely death. 
Another legend is that the Count was in a battle with a great wizard named Esteban. And during this campaign, the Count overpowered the wizard and impaled him. Just as the Count was about to sink his fangs into the wizard's neck, the wizard reached into his cloak, pulled out a magic wand and pointed it at the mirror, put a spell on it. As the wizard was grasping for his last breath, he did say, Count Draconstella, you may have defeated me in battle, but I'll have the last laugh. I hope you enjoy your new home in the mirror. Then a beam of light shone through the mirror with force so strong, not even the Count had enough power to, to free himself, nor strength from the grasp. The Count eventually lost the battle with the mirror and was sucked into it, and never to be heard from for over 300 years. The only way the Count could break the curse is to have someone willing to give him their soul. You know, they would give the soul to the Count, the Count would appear through the mirror and deliver orders. For whosoever graces his presence, bring the Count thirteen virgin maidens to impale and drain of blood. The Count can leave the mirror for the impaling of each virgin maiden once a day for thirteen days. Then if these demands are met, it will be freed from the mirror. This by far is the silliest story I think I've ever heard in my life. I'll tell you what, since you can only come up with the 250, and I see how badly you would like to have this place as your painting haven. It's yours, said the realtor. This is a dream come true. I'll have enough money left over to restore the castle to the way it once was, hopefully, said Debeco. Debeco signed all the appropriate documents, handed over the money to the realtor, and the realtor handed him the keys and the deed. The castle is officially yours. Good luck, may peace be with you, and all of your days in the castle, said the realtor. Debeco was so excited about owning his castle, this was a dream come true. Debeco could finally paint the type of paintings he wanted. As Debeco finished moving everything, everything into the cellar, he approached the cursed mirror and removed the black cover from it. He stepped back from it, amazed at the artistry of the frame of the mirror. Dipeko was totally amazed, and he went to a utility closet to get some cleaner for the mirror and polish it, because he wanted to see its complete beauty shining through. It was getting late when all of a sudden, a voice was calling out to Dipeko, Come here, come here. Dipeko thought he imagined things, and he was gathering his cleaning supplies. The voice was even louder. Dipeko, come to the mirror. I've got something to tell you. Dipeko said, this is crazy, a talking mirror. Dipeko slowly turned around and couldn't believe what he saw in the mirror. Oh my God, it's true about the curse. There is, there in the mirror was Count Drak von Stoller, trapped in the mirror for over 300 years. Dipeko said, I thought it was some joke. The Count said, No, Dipeko, this is no joke. I am Count Drak von Stoller. I need you to set me free so that we can conquer the world together. All you have to do is go into town, find 13 virgin maidens so the curse can be lifted. You will receive the highest reward as my lead vampire. Each maiden must be brought back to the castle before midnight. Only one per day for thirteen days for the curse to be lifted. Then I can walk free amongst the living. Tibeco, if you do this for me, the reward will be great. There's no time to waste. Now go out and find me a maiden. 
Tobacco did, as the Count instructed. Every day. Tobacco brought the Count a virgin maiden for thirteen days. The Count impaled each one before he sucked the blood from their necks. On the thirteenth day, the Count stepped out of the mirror and said, Tobacco, you did very well. And when you wake in the morning, you'll be my lead vampire as I promised. Now get some rest. I'll see you in the morning. Tobacco got some rest. As he woke in the morning, he rose out of bed, went over to the mirror to see if his appearance changed. But he saw no reflection in the mirror. He said to himself, What has happened to me? Tobacco couldn't even remember his name or where he was. Then a knock came on the door. Nick, are you awake? said the Count. Nick answered, Yes, who are you? The voice replied, Count Drac von Stoller, I've come to tell you there is a meeting down in the cellar. Your presence is needed. Nick followed Count Drac von Stoller down to the cellar. As they were walking towards the cellar, Nick said, Count, I feel thirsty, and the first thing that comes to mind is blood. The Count replied, Blood. Well, as soon as we're in the cellar, everyone in the meeting will get a tall glass of blood, and we will all celebrate the birth of our most feared vampire army on the face of this earth. They both entered the cellar and sat down at the table. The Count said, Now that everyone is here, I would like to introduce each member of the Count Drac von Stoller's army of vampires. The newest member and the reason we're all together is because of Nick Mondrell. If he wouldn't have brought these beautiful maidens to me, then this would not be possible. So now, I propose a toast to Nick. Raise your glasses of blood, everyone. May our army of vampires prosper and take control of the whole earth. Everyone raised their glasses of blood and drank up. Now let me introduce you to the rest of the vampires. Right, Rachel, Miranda, Isabel, Kali, Lamia, Lilla, Buta, Shidip, Shurul, Pontic, Asemi, Shivateto and Sukyan, said the Count as he smiled. The Count said that he researched the most feared female vampires, and when the thirty maidens were transformed into vampires, the Count gave them all names and powers that these vampires possessed when they reigned over their country during their period. We have been called to this meeting because we're going to do something no other vampire has ever done. Before us, that becomes an army of vampires. That is, and will take over the earth in 666 days. In the past, vampires were feared, but not enough to threaten the extinction of human race. Vampires seek out humans at night for their blood, sucking every drop of blood, resulting in their death. Then the vampire returns to their place of rest to coffin and sleep during the day. Then the cycle starts all over again and again. By becoming an army of vampires, we're going to infect each human with our blood, not just enough to make them a vampire. Then their mission is to spread the vampire's curse until every human being on this earth becomes one of us and our deed is done and we can celebrate a victory for the Prince of Darkness, said Durak von Stoller. I've waited a long time for this, and I will be King of Darkness and rule the Earth. I plan to take over Northwestern Ireland first. Then we'll branch out to the east and southern parts of Europe. Once we've transformed every human being into vampires, 
we will take over one continent at a time. Till they all live is Vampire's World, reiterated the Count. Count Drakvonstall's army of vampires was able to take over the whole world in 666 days, and the Count crowned King of Vampires. No more would the Count have to be imprisoned in the mirror for all eternity. Nick Mordrell was living the dream he had always wanted for many years, but couldn't achieve it until he met with Count Drak von Stoller and formed the most notorious blood-sucking impaling vampire army there ever was. Nick eventually married Isabella, and the Count gave Castle Drak von Stoller as a wedding gift to Nick and Isabella to raise their vampire babies to be hers to continue their legacy. The Count went on to build a new castle with a vampire training school so young vampires would learn the history of how vampires came and what it took to conquer the human race. The end. Though that is a very interesting story indeed, and, and it really is, I'd like to add that if they turned everybody into vampires in the whole world, what were they going to drink? Were they just going to drink animal blood then? And couldn't they just done that in the first place? I mean, that's just me thinking logical on the story here, but it's still a good story nonetheless. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Wisteria Energy Twister. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and to the Drak von Stoller stories. So this one's called Captain Bloody Bones. Captain Johnny Bones loved to sail the seven seas with some of the roughest shipmates that ever sailed. Captain Johnny Bones' ship was called Bloody Bones because every ship that crossed its path would be a bloody mess. When Captain Johnny Bones got through the crew, there would be nothing left but Bloody Bones. When Captain Johnny Bones and his shipmates came aboard, they stole all of the gold aboard and would slit every crewman's throats and watch their jugular veins squirt blood on the other dead bodies. Just before Captain Johnny Bones and his men would climb aboard their ship, Bloody Bones, they would roast the dead men's hearts over their burning bodies and eat their hearts to show that Captain Johnny Bones and his men were the toughest pirates in the sea. Very few men in Captain Johnny Bones' ship would ever backtalk him. If they did, they would either walk the plank or have the heads cut off, and a rope would be threaded through both ears, then tied above his, their head, and the head would hang a couple of feet along the side of the ship. When other pirates dare come alongside Captain Johnny Bone's boat and see all the severed heads along the bottom of the vessel, that was enough to make the, any pirate ship retreat and head back home. Captain Bones had a big ego, and would love to attack any ship in its path, friendly or not. Regardless if another pirate ship was nearby, it was sure Captain Bones would fire upon that ship, so there was no avoiding the bloody bone ship at any cost. Captain Bones liked to let his crew board the enemy ship and completely subdue them, and then one of his men would wave a shirt on a stick for the captain to come aboard and enter the enemy's captain's quarters, where his men would have the captain tied to a chair. Captain Bones would slit the captain's throat and then cut the captain's heart out and eat it 
while blood was dripping down his mouth, and shout out to his men and say, Who's the roughest and toughest pirate of the sea? And his men would answer, Captain Johnny Bones. Captain Johnny Bones' men shouted, Captain Johnny Bones. Why don't you change your name to Captain Bloody Bones? Because you're the most bloodthirsty pirate of them all. Captain Johnny Bones said, I like it. I like it. As the men gathered up the enemy's gold, all the dead men's bodies were placed in a pile and set on fire, and their hearts were cut out and eaten by Captain Bloodybones and his men. Captain Bloodybones and his men ruled the seas for many years, until most of Captain Bloodybones' men started dying from eating all those uh, bloody hearts. Captain Bloodybones' crew was down to mere seven men, including the captain himself. And to find men as rough and tough as his crew was his chance of finding anyone else. Well, this was slim to none. Captain Bones and his men were sitting ducks out in the lonely sea. His ship was sailing through the lonely seas for months without an enemy in sight. I mean, he usually fought pirate ships weekly. But since he wasn't feared anymore, ships would pass by and laugh. The end was near for Captain Bones and his men because a new pirate named Captain Severtooth wanted Captain Bloodybones and his ship sunk. Captain Severtooth got his name because whenever his men would take a ship over and eat gold, Captain Severtooth would cut out the enemy's teeth while they were still alive for souvenirs. The next day, as the not-so-rough and most robust pirates of the sea were looking for an easy ship to take over, Captain Bloodybone's ship happened to cross paths with Captain Severtooth's boat. Captain Severtooth and his crew outnumbered Captain Bloodybone's men three to one. So Captain Bloodybone's and his men didn't stand a chance, because at least three out of the seven men of his men were deathly ill. Captain Severtooth's ship fired up Captain Bloodybone's ship, rendering it useless. Captain Severtooth boarded Captain Bloodybones' boat and killed all six men in front of Captain Bloodybones. Captain Bloodybones watched as Captain Severtooth cut out his men's teeth while they lay there screaming in agony. And there's nothing that the Captain Bloodybones could do but watch. Well, well, I finally get to meet the roughest, toughest, bloodthirsty pirate of the sea. Guess what? Looks like you're not so tough after all, Captain Sissybones. It looks like my men did a good job finishing off the rest of your crew, and I've got six more sets of teeth to add my, um, to my collection. Did I say six? Six. I mean to say seven sets of teeth. I didn't mean to leave you out, Captain Sissybones. Sorry. I meant to say Captain Johnny Bones, because the captain always goes down with his ship, just like you were once I removed your teeth said Captain Severtooth. Captain Tooth's men held Captain Bones down on the deck and cut out Captain Bones' teeth and gathered all of Captain Bloodybone's gold from his ship. Captain Severtooth set Captain Bloodybone's ship, the Bloodybones, on fire and climbed back aboard his ship. Severtooth watched Captain Bloodybone's ship and all of its men sink to the bottom of the sea. Captain Severtooth and his men will be the most feared pirates of the sea for many years to come, until the next roughest and the most robust pirate ship would cross their path and take over the sea, just like many of the pirates before them. 
and that's the life of a pirate. Be tough for as long as you can, because the day will come when there's someone bigger and better. Thank you for listening to this story. I truly appreciate it. Please hit that like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Wisteria Energy Twister. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and to the Drakvon Stoller Collection. This story is called Campfire Tales. We had just gotten back from the Halloween party when John, being the only non-believing ghost, asked Karen and me if the stories about many sightings of spirits in the old ghost town were true. Of course, we said they were all true. And of course, his response was, these stories are just a bunch of made-up stuff. They keep nosy people from vandalising the old town. Well, if it's not true, then why don't all of us camp out tonight at the ghost town and put these old stories to the test once and for all? I replied. I told John that I would get my tent and some blankets. Karen volunteered to bring food and flashlights. And John said he would bring some firewood, beer and his guitar. I decided we would all ride together in my car. Everyone was very excited. We were telling our friends at school all about our spooky tales when we get back. But little did we know there would be no tales to say because we would never be heard from again. As we were driving down the dusty country road, John was strumming on his guitar as we all sang along joyfully. We were having the time of our lives, just being together because we were such good friends. Just up ahead of us was a man in the middle of the road on a horse. Slow down, Karen exclaimed. I immediately slammed on the brakes. John doesn't scare easily. But this man on the horse in the middle of this dark, deserted road gave John the willies. The closer we got to the mounted figure, the more frightened we all became. But we just kept driving. We blamed it on the beer. We were drinking and we just proceeded towards the ghost town. We couldn't face all of our friends the next day and say, well, we were too scared to camp out there. We would be the laughing stock of the school. So we continued onwards. As we approached the entrance to the town, the car stalled. We were not going to walk back home since it was too far and... We didn't want to end up running for our lives from that mysterious man on the horse. So we gathered our belongings and crossed through the entrance. We turned on our flashlights, looked for a safe place to camp, just for the night. Hmm. Where did that man on the horse go? Karen asked as we walked. Who knows and who cares? John replied quickly. All of a sudden, the mounted figure appeared. Charge full steam ahead in our direction. The figure's eyes were as red as fire. We all froze in our tracks. The figure rode right through us, as if we were the ghosts. It was enough to turn a sceptic into a believer. I told everyone to get our cell phones out, call our parents to come pick us up, but none of our phones would get a signal. Well, looks like we're stuck here for the night, 
We may as well make the best of it, said John. This looks like a good place to pitch a tent, right next to the saloon and bank, I replied. John placed the firewood on the ground, tried to get the fire started while Karen and I got the tent set up. We all gathered around the campfire to keep warm and sang a few songs, you know, lighten the mood. Karen decided, after a while, we should tell some stories about the old ghost town. All right. Who wants to tell their story first? Karen asked excitedly. John put his guitar down, took another gulp of beer and said, Since I'm the biggest sceptic, I'll tell my story first. My father told me this tale when I was a little boy. You see, my father's grandfather used to be sheriff in this ghost town and would always run into trouble with some of the gunslingers. That was especially true with a man nicknamed Six-Gun Jones. Every time Six-Gun Jones drank too much whiskey while playing poker, someone ended up dead. When Six-Gun lost a game, he would tip the table over and shoot every player in the head. He'd grab up all the money, run out of the saloon, jump on his horse and ride out of town. Until one day the sheriff had had enough. This time, I'll be ready and waiting to shoot him in both legs, the sheriff said. I'll drag him out to the saloon and hang him high in the middle of the town. Sure enough, Six-Gun Jones was back in the town with his whiskey in one hand and his six-gun in the other. Everyone scattered about the saloon as Six-Gun took a swig of whiskey. He shot his gun in the air and said, Let's play some poker, boys! After a few rounds of poker and whiskey, losing every hand, he threw his whiskey bottle down and flicked the table over. He was getting ready to shoot every player in the head, make his getaway with the money, but little did he know that one of the players was the sheriff in disguise. The sheriff drew his guns, shot Six-Gun in both of his legs, for he even got his hand to his weapon. Six-Gun Jones fell to the floor, begging for help. The sheriff came over, just as he planned to do, dragged Six-Gun out of the saloon. He took him to the gallows and hung Six-Gun for all the killings in the town he committed. After John had finished, it was Karen's turn. So what's your story? he asked. My story dates a few years before yours, Karen said. The town had just struck gold, and the people were pleased and enjoying life. That is until Tombstone Willie came to town and tore it all apart. Willie was a very selfish and mean man, who stood about six feet six inches tall. I hope you all don't have a weak stomach, because this story is pretty gruesome. It all started on a dust day when Tombstone got into a fight with another man over a woman. Tombstone said to the man, Let's go outside the saloon and finish this. No guns, just fists. The man agreed and followed him outside. Little did he know that this would be his last fight. Tombstone reared back and threw the first punch. He struck him so hard that the man spun around, hit the ground and passed out. Tombstone ran one of his spurs from the top of the man's head to the bottom of his leg and dragged him behind the saloon. Tombstone dug him a shallow grave and buried his lifeless body. The next day, he returned with an headstone to mark the grave of his first kill. That was how Tombstone Willie got his nickname. He went on to kill about ten of the townspeople, and the name just stuck. I'm sure you would like to know what happened to Tombstone Willie. Well, one day he was burying a man behind the saloon, and a horse came alongside him. Before Tombstone Willie turned around to see who it was, one of the fathers of his victims was on the horse, 
swinging his lasso above his head. He threw it around Tombstone Willie's neck and dragged his lifeless body out of town. The enraged father cut off Tombstone Willie's head and buried the body. To this day, no one knows what happened to Tombstone Willie's head. At this point, I was shaken in my boots by the tales. Uh, well, guys, I'm not sure if I can top your stories, but I'll give it a try. This outlaw I'm about to tell you about is horrible too. It goes by the name of Lasso Bill, and if he catches you cheating at poker, you're a dead man. On one rainy night, Lasso Bill entered the saloon, ready to play some poker. He needed some money to eat on, since he didn't have much money. Lasso Bill was pretty good at poker and never cheated. To him, there was nothing better than winning big. The Kingston clan are notorious for cheating and didn't care what the townspeople thought of them. It just so happened that on this day, Lasso Bill decided to play against the clan. While they were playing, Lasso Bill noticed one of the Kingston brothers sliding an ace under his cards and he knew something was up. Lasso Bill was getting dealt, one bad hand after another, so he slammed his cards down on the table and yelled, No one, I mean no one, cheats Lasso Bill out of money. The Kingston clan just sat back and laughed at his threats. You think it's funny? I'll show you funny. He quickly pulled both six shooters out and shot the cheating clan to death. Lasso Bill kicked the table over, got out of his chair, grabbing his lasso from the floor. He pulled the bullet-filled bodies of Kingston clan together and swung his lasso around in the air until it slipped over their corpses. Lasso Bill pulled the rope tight and dragged the boys out of the saloon, tied the rope around to his horse and rode out of town. He went all the way to the top of the hill and buried the brothers. When word got out about what Lasso Bill had done, he was the town's hero. That's my story. I know my tale had a happy ending, but Lasso Bill was still a fearless outlaw during the old western days. Hey, John, did you hear something? said I. Yes, Karen and John exclaimed at the same time. It's the man on the horse, with the fiery red eyes. This time he's not alone. It can't be. No, no, it, it can't be. Please don't hurt us. We're only camping out and telling stories about the old ghost town. We mean no harm. No, no, no. The next morning, a school was in progress. The roll was called. John, no answer. Karen, no answer. Mike, no answer. Only a charred campfire, untouched tent, and broken down car remained. No trace of John, Karen and Mike were ever found to this day. And no one knows what truly happened. The End Thank you for listening to this Drakvon Stolot story. I truly appreciate it. Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Wisteria. 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 Energy. 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 Twister. 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 Twister.